What's up, party people? It's Talib Kweli, the BKMC, the MCEO. I love the fact that y'all checking out the People's Party and showing us a lot of love. You know what we do? We bringing you all the live guests. We bringing you the best podcast on the internet. Just make sure you subscribe and leave a review. People's Party, Talib Kweli. Let's go. One, two, three, and the place to be is your boy Talib Kweli. I'm the host of the People's Party. Welcome to another edition. As you see, I switched up my location. We are still in lockdown. I'm still rocking with the wonderful, the talented, the lovely Jasmine Lee. Give it up for my co-host of People's Party, Jasmine Lee. What's up, Jasmine? How you doing? What's up? Where in the world is Talib Kweli? I am at the person who we are about to interview's home. And let me tell you about this home. Boy, is it a spectacular home. Boy, am I having a good time here. Boy, is this person's <laughs> house so comfortable and so suited to me. Because it's one of my best friends. It's one of the most powerful, inspirational, influential people in my life. She is a poet. She's a picture of power. Everything about her is powerful. From Detroit, where she grew up at, to the words that she chooses. She is the author of many books. The words don't fit in my mouth. Alphabet versus the ghetto. God is not an American. Sunlight through bullet holes. And right now she has a new book out called We Want Our Bodies Back. Mm. She's worked with myself. She's worked with Nas. She's worked with Young Jeezy. She is an Apollo legenda. And when you say that, you have to say it with the extra duh after the D. You have to say Apollo legenda. <laughs> she, she worked on, on stages like Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center. She owns her own publishing company. And she did this early in the game, more black press, a visionary, fiercely independent. Her album, Black Tea, The Legend of Jesse James, to put out on my label, Javodi Media. Man, it's one of my favorite albums on the planet. She loves black people. She loves the word. Give it up for my homie, my stromy, Detroit's own Jessica Caremore. We got a snap for this Hello, one. Peace and love. Hello. Hello. What's up, Jasmine? I'm so excited What's to be up? doing this in my crib. Thank you. And welcome to crib. my home in Detroit. Listen, I'm home. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah. I think you're like my first person that is allowed to be this close to me. So um, oh, yeah, wow. I trust you a lot. And I love you so much, Talib. And I appreciate <laughs> you. And I've been looking for my chance to be on Up Rocks. You know, I was like, well, can I get on, can I get on the podcast? <laughs> and so for you to come to Detroit to do this um, means a lot to me. So I appreciate you both. Thank you. Well, you know, I took the COVID test. I took the antibody test to see if I had the antibodies before I came to see you and your oh, son. Yeah. You know, I yeah. wanted oh, to wow. come out. Yeah, I want to just come in from the world. We let you in. <laughs> we know. <laughs> right. You know, I appreciate it. It's, it's been real deep here and being safe. I've been real. This is the most I've been on the ground. I'm sure you too, like not being on planes yeah. has been real interesting. My life has changed mm-hmm. a lot in the last three months. Yeah, same with me. I'm enjoying not having to be on a plane. This is the longest. I've been on the road for 20 years. And this is the long mm-hmm. from, uh, I guess, so. from March till now is the longest time in the last 20 years where I haven't done a show or been on a stage or been yeah. on a plane. And this wow. is a different, a Same. different feeling. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's really bugged out actually. Um, I'm adjusting, but you know, these mm-hmm. are the times that they need, uh, MCs like you, they need uh radical thinkers. They need revolutionary thought. And this, these are things that we've been talking about our entire career. Um, but now because people, other people now are joining in the conversation with us, um, where I guess, uh, needed and it's good. It's good to be needed. Um, right. and it's good for people to be amplifying voices that really need to be amplified anyway. 
Um, because we're usually, poets generally are at the pulse of what's happening mm -hmm. with community, which makes us right. different than other artists, I think. Now, what makes Detroit different different than a lot of cities is the just the sheer blackness of the city and how yeah. there's a lot uh, of, you know, there's a, just a lot of black people mm -hmm. here who, you know, the city was, I don't, I forget the percentage of the, uh, but Detroit has an unusually high percentage of black people, right? Oh, we're like 80, 85 to 90% black still, even wow. with the yeah. We're still, we still blackity black. And um, right. I live in historic Boston Edison's historic black neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, Aretha Franklin grew up across um, down the street. Smokey Robinson grew up in the same neighborhood. You know, this is where the black middle class um, bought homes back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so we still have a strong black middle class. We have a working class population here mm -hmm. that's very strong, um, white and black. Um, but we're predominantly black city. If you just stay in the one area gentrified downtown, what they call Midtown, you won't know that. But if you go in the neighborhoods, that's where the black people are. So we in the west side, we're on the east side, we in southwest. Got a strong Mexican community here in southwest, um, Mexican village. I used to live in that neighborhood. And so I am, yeah, because I grew up in such a very a, a rooted in blackness, a black nationhood kind of space, um, I, when I moved to Brooklyn, New York was very different for me. I saw more white police than I ever had seen in my whole life. Because uh, we actually here in Detroit, which is different than other cities, that we have black policing. We don't, you know, in the last five years, it's gotten not as, it's not as great as it used to be. But Maricoma Young, I'm a Maricoma Young baby. So when people say they're a Maricoma Young baby, that means they came up to, with a mayor that was cussing everybody in the media out, that was desegregating fire um, departments and police departments. He made it. So we created the rule here in Detroit, Maricoma Young, that you had to live in Detroit to be a police officer in Detroit. And oh, so wow. I grew up with black teachers, black council people, and Mayor Coleman Young was my only mayor. I only knew black mayors. Mayor Duggan is our mayor now, but that's the first white mayor I've seen in my entire life. <laughs> and, um, and I'm grown. And so mm -hmm. um, Detroit is like a, a, a space. I mean, Martin Luther King did I Have a Dream here first. I mean, it's we've been on the front line of rebellions and organizing and, you know, even in strong black music and literary arts. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we're not, we're not as big as New York, right? And so we're mm -hmm. different from New York. We're different from California. And so sometimes we get overlooked. But if you're talking about black culture, the Detroit has to be in the conversation. Now, how has that impacted your art personally? Well, it's, it completely made me who I am. I was, you know, as you know, I have a really strong relationship with my father growing up. So mm -hmm. uh, when I moved to Brooklyn in 1997, I had a lot of, I came with a lot already. I came very um, focused on institution building, even though I didn't know what I was going to build, but I started building more black press in 1997. Um, after I won the, I came to New York and won the Apollo, got well known doing that. And then started the publishing house and I published my first book, The Words Don't Fit In My Mouth, published Saul Williams, um, The Seventh Octave. And that's because I'm from Detroit. And that's because, you know, they said that term Detroit hustles harder. Like we really, mm -hmm. nobody gives us anything in Detroit. Like I, nobody, there weren't like 200 open mics. It wasn't trendy. When I was reading poetry, I was reading at hair shows. I was reading at the ghetto clubs. I was reading anywhere where they would take the music off for a minute, let me kick a poem and then put the music back on because I knew the DJs. And so I was doing right. different kind of spaces in Detroit. It wasn't like, like my, like, Guys that came to my poetry gigs wouldn't come to poetry mm -hmm. gigs in New York. They weren't right. like, they weren't backpackers. They were like hood dudes, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That probably, you know, sold some weed or whatever. <laughs> they were just dudes. <laughs> and and those are my, and that's what I love. Like my audience were like those regular people, our people, not just trendy, head wrapped 
you know what I'm saying, burning mm-hmm. incense, yeah. like stereotypical, like this is what it looked like. So it didn't look like right, that. Don't act like you ain't got no incense burner somewhere in this moment. I got some sage <laughs> I smell it from here. <laughs> I got sage up in this beautiful artistic home of mine, but, but it's still, it's, it's my hood wonderland, you know what I'm saying? Right, like, right. So it's, no it's a balance of, uh, yeah, artsy and hood. <laughs> Now, speaking of spaces that poetry is not usually seen in or welcoming, that includes the mm. Apollo Theater. You know, yes. that, is, that includes Showtime at the Apollo. I grew up watching Showtime at the Apollo, and you would see a comedian kill. Mm. You would see Stephanie mm. Mills, somebody sing a Stephanie Mills song, you know. Um, right. those, that's who would win at the Apollo. You got up there and did this poem, Black Statue of Liberty, and you won wow. five times in a row where you had to, mm-hmm. like, they had to retire the poem. Your <laughs> Black Statue of Liberty is... Is your get by like that's it's like get by for me? Get, I can't I can't get by that poem. You know I'm so that poem was so old for me. <laughs> right. and, um, graduated from Black Statue of Liberty, but I wrote it right. when I was probably 19 or 20 years old. Right, I was a little girl when I wrote it. Um, but it was a very strong poem. I'm talking about, I, I stand still above an island, fish straight in the air, sky on my face, long braids in my hair. People fly from all over just to swim near my tide, or climb up my long flight of stairs, but they trip on their shoestring lies. Like. I was talking a lot of shit on the Apollo. Um, right. And, and, and it was really resonating. Already- it was yeah. it was resonating with the audience. And that's what I think is impressive yeah. about what was happening is that it was it was he was talking a lot of shit to an audience that mm-hmm. wasn't exposed to that type of thing. But it resonated resonated mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. Like they like they knew it in their bones and they sold. Oh, they, man. They, they yeah. shook my body with those claps. You know what I mean? I was overwhelmed. Yeah. I was 22, you know, and I was like, I didn't expect to necessarily get booed off the stage, but I didn't expect mm-hmm. the reaction to be as strong as it was. I was, mm-hmm. there was a, I beat a rapping dog. There's a rapping pit bull. I beat him. I beat some <laughs> temptation singer. <laughs> Listen, the rapping dog had won like three weeks in a row. They were on like <laughs> Andre and Dr. Like Dr. Dre and Ed Lover on Hot 97. I was like, yo, the rapping dog is on Hot 97. And they ended up bringing me on after I won because I was like they got to bring you know the person that beat the rapping dog and shit and so (laughs) it was it was um it was more revolutionary in that moment than I even realized I was so in shock from winning and like you know Paul Mooney was there when I won Brandy was there Mm -hmm. like I was still in awe of just being at the Apollo you know I was really there as a Mm -hmm. fan of this stage and have watched so many people as a little girl and I I mean, for five weeks, I, I did three weeks of Black Statue of Liberty, and then I, I begged after the second time to do Black Girl Juice. And mm-hmm. that was different, because normally if you're on the Apollo and you win with a song, you got to sing the same song. But I was like, yeah. I'm about to go out there in front of black people and do that same poem for the third yeah. time. And so mm-hmm. they let me do Black Girl Juice, and I won again. And then they kicked me off. I never lost. <laughs> after five right. weeks, the, um, Steve you Harvey came out. Yeah. They're like, I'm a legend. <laughs> it's better, the, it's <laughs> better to retire a winner. And that's Apollo how they legend, felt, though. though. I think they all felt that way. Like Steve Harvey, Kiki Shepard, Rachel, and the crew. They was all of them were really excited that I was winning, and they were like, mm-hmm. "This sister right here, we gonna retire her. That's how, because that's what we should do." So that's what right. they did. And yeah, I was sitting and up it still has, in my crib. Yeah. It still has impact to this day. Um, I think um, yeah, then yeah. Zendaya, uh, post uh, that poem. Zendaya. 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 Did I? Did I say her name wrong? I've seen her in spider I, I might be saying it wrong. <laughs> She's beautiful. I love her. Yeah. And she, when she was seven years old, she was doing Black Statue of Liberty. I think she was seven or nine. She was a little girl doing Black Statue wow. of Liberty in front of her fully white classroom. And she put mm-hmm. it on YouTube. And so I saw that little girl on YouTube for years and didn't know who she was. And then she mm-hmm. started talking to me. I think she was in an L or Vogue magazine, magazine referencing me in my poem. And I was like, that's the little girl, the little actress that's kicking butt right now. And I love her because I remember when those 
folks uh, attacked her hair on that runway mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they were yeah. giving her all this hell for having this beautiful hair, you know, and so she's, but she comes from radical, you know, Panther background. She's got like radical activist roots, parents. And so I'm not surprised that she was watching me as a little girl on the Apollo, but that's Talib, to be honest, I, I can, I get inboxes almost every day about some young girl telling me she's normally, they're normally like 20 now, right? 22 now. Right. I was 12. I was 15, which I don't like to hear that because it makes me sound like I'm old. But <laughs> it did, that poem did make an impact. I told young girls, told me that they were in abusive relationships, that, that they mm-hmm. didn't know poems could sound like that, that they started writing poetry because they never, all they knew were white male poets they were taught in school. So, and that's what happens to us, like black women poets. Um, we're buried inside, we're not in curriculum. If we're in it, we're like one of us. Like they might give mm-hmm. you Maya Angelou, right? They might give you one, mm-hmm. maybe Alice Walker if you have a good teacher. But they're not doing Lucille Clifton, Audrey Lorde, Sonia Sanchez, Nikki Giovanni, Justin. Kimura, Asha Mandeli, Stacey Ann Chen. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, mm-hmm. we are a curriculum to be taught. And and so as an adult poet, my push has been, you know, to really an education to like push back on these very white-centered, Eurocentric um, curriculums and that we put black women poets' voices in the forefront. Young girls shouldn't be having to come find me. They should be in mm-hmm, fifth right. or sixth grade. They can start learning. Black Statue of Liberty, right. a fourth or fifth grader can do that poem. And so, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the work. But so the poem always has a life because there's always some young girl that can still get that poem, right? Even though I've outgrown right. the work. Um, but We Want Our Bodies Back is my new Black Statue of Liberty, you know, right, right, right. for me. Well, first of all, I'm going to say I'm going to make sure that my daughter recites your poetry. So you know, I've got to worry about her finding it. Thank um, you. Rather than siding with traditional publishers, you right away was like, fuck that noise. I need to do my Basically. own thing. Um, mm-hmm. What made you... Uh, what, what, how did you understand the power of black ownership and, mm. you know, to do your own thing and not really care about ever having to work with white gatekeepers? Yeah. Thank you, Jasmine. I mean, it's a great question because that's who I am. And that's my daddy. Tom Moore raised that girl. Um, I watched him not work for anybody my entire life. He had Tom's mm. trucking. He made, he um, had a cement trucking company. I never saw him working for white folks. He couldn't. He just didn't have the personality to do it. And I don't really have it either. Like, I'm very, I'm an independent spirit. And also, like, when I came to Brooklyn and I was, like, tearing down microphones with everybody else that was tearing down microphones at Brooklyn Moon Cafe and Sunday Tea Party. And we, I knew... I could. I knew that this was a special time period. Like the, what was happening with hip hop was special, and what was happening with poets was very special. And um, I wasn't going to wait for a white press to tell me I was valid. That I was valid. Mm-hmm. That my voice meant something. I already had done audiences. I'd already traveled and toured with Paul Beatty over in UK. So I was doing European tours before I even had my first book deal. Before my before I gave myself my first book deal, I just never been. And I turned down Sony, Elektra, and another record label. Like I turned down three record deals after I won wow. the Apollo. And so that's just I would I didn't come to New York to get somebody to find me. You know, I came to New York mm-hmm. to find poets. I came, mm-hmm. I went to New York to find Reggie Gaines and Willie Perdomo and Tony Medina and these poets I read in this book called The Allowed New Yorker Anthology Allowed. So I was going chasing history, right? I knew that poets had come from something, and so. Um, yeah, it was just a deeper thing for me. And becoming an institution builder was just more in line with what I thought was the necessary thing for the moment. So I published in the publishing Saul Williams' first book after doing very well with my book. I came from a journalist background, so I knew how to write a press release. I knew oh. how to I knew how to say Jessica Kimmore, the girl with the braids. So everybody knew me the poem with the girl with the braids on the follows. And so mm-hmm. I took advantage of that moment. And I, you know, I got a, I had a couple great agents, and they tried to shop my book. My book, I wasn't ready for a deal with a major house um, or or independent white mainstream house, I should say. And and building that, 
I learned so much now. Um, I published Saul Williams. I published Asha Medelli. I published Danny Simmons' book um, and Sharif Simmons' first book. And so I'm pu- publishing Brad Walron's Everyone Everywhere Alien is coming out late in 2020. So I'm still publishing. I've slowed down because I really need to po- uh, focus on myself as a writer and, and getting my voice out there, which is you know the reason why I decided to give this book to HarperCollins um, Amistad. So, because distribution, as we know in hip hop, is the key. <laughs> and so, without a distribution deal for more black press, it has been the beautiful struggle um, to get make it easier for people to get to my work. And so, that's what's been happening with We Want Our Bodies Back. So, still doing more black press, still very independent. And all that independent energy, though, you know, that I've learned the last 20 years doing this work, I bring all that intelligence to my, to my book deal. So, mm-hmm. I know how to talk to the marketing department. I know how to sell my work to people. And you right. picked an amazing name too. More black press. Thanks. That's just like oh, ugh, more, yeah. perfect. with my last name. Yes, more yes. black press. You know, and, and because we needed it. Because in the nineties, mm-hmm. like you know, when it, some of the hip hop artists were getting signed, the poets weren't. So there was no publishing houses really fucking with us. Like they were like scared of us. <laughs> um, the voices that we are out there now that have book deals at that, at some point that there'd be a time where there's no way in hell they would give us a deal. And so now we see more black people who are teaching, more black professors, and we see more black poets getting book deals, and, and we deserve them. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we deserve the shelf space. And, and that's where I met Talib at Inkiru Books. Yeah, you walked into Inkiru Books and you sold me copies of your book. Um, <laughs> words don't yeah. fit in my mouth. I think I bought five yeah. copies, maybe 10 copies. Um, oh, the book was yeah, $15. So $15. $15. I sold, we sold, yeah. yeah, we sold out of it because I was like, I was able to sell it to young people. Be like, that's a girl who wanted the Apollo. Um, yes. <laughs> and um, it's interesting because we just had Donnell Rawlins on and he was oh, like, Donnell, I love him. Yeah, yeah he was like, he, he, yeah, he was, that's what he was talking about. He was talking about living in Fort Greene, how he couldn't get comedy gigs. He was like, I would go to the poetry readings at Brooklyn yes. Moon Cafe and I would do I would do poem about poems about all those fake woke, woke motherfuckers who were snapping their fingers because the people upstairs <laughs> was was talking about yeah yes they, yeah, we had a snap I I don't even like the snapping I'll be like you better clap yeah. for me because the snapping with that Brooklyn Moon was because we had people upstairs that were hating on us so right yeah Donnell was on the comedy scene and Dean Edwards as well was on the poetry scene with us um, and that's how I met mm-hmm. Dave actually because so the comics and yep. the poets back then were all intermixing I was definitely doing the comedy clubs though. I remember doing right. Flamingo. I was doing. I did. The, I did poems at the cellar. I did poems at all those little spots in East Village, and because it's one mic, right? Mm-hmm. I remember Dr. Dre and Ed Lover. I think had a show at Caroline's. They had a show that you used to host, and they mm-hmm. it was a comedy show. But they would let me come on and do like a poetry set in the middle of this comedy mm-hmm. thing. I was never scared of any audiences. Some people might be scared of like comedy audiences because my poems aren't necessarily funny. I think I, I'm funny between the, between the poems, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I ain't never scared of no people, you know, and right. a microphone, I'm like, nah, right. you know, all I need is one mic. It's a, it's a similar well, approach. It's audience and microphone. Well, speaking of Nas and one mic, you were on Nas album. Um, yeah. You were on my album. You were on Young Jeezy album. Um, yeah. Tell me about Kareem your connection Vegas with hip hop. Yeah. How you became yeah. like almost like the go-to poet for hip hop <laughs> artists. <laughs> I don't know. You know, my A rapper need a poem, you go get Jessica. <laughs> Listen, well, you know, the difference between like those other people though, like, and I got a shout out, like Nas, you know, prediction and the outcome, he wanted me to open and close that album. 
Um, and I, at that time, I was supposed to, I was working on getting signed with Illwill Records, which is what I wanted. I wanted to work with Nas in a much deeper way than just doing an opening and closing on his album. But I had my management at the time didn't work out. You know, it just happens. And so, um, and that was a good look, though, because even when I met like Lupe, Lupe Fiasco for the first time, Lupe was like, oh, I know you. You're the poet that was on the Nas album. So some mm -hmm. people actually, that was their reference for me. It wasn't the Apollo. It was the Nas album. Right. Like, the colleges. Right. And I was like, Afro Angels, how my weapons and tangles. They'd be like, oh, you the one that did the... I was like, yeah. So that was, <laughs> that was crazy. You know what I mean? Because right. Nas wasn't necessarily... He was a rapper. You know what I mean? It wasn't like... it made, I could see me working with you or working with most. Like, it's more Hey, wait, what you trying to say? I'm not a rapper? <laughs> <laughs> you're a rapper. But I'm saying, like, you're not, like, representing cool, like Queensbridge Project. Like, come on No, now, I'm from look. Brooklyn. Again, you know. Yeah. I'm from Brooklyn. Uh -huh. And I'm friends with your mom. Brooklyn got the best green. rappers. <laughs> Detroit got some good rappers too though We got good rappers Detroit, Detroit. rappers Okay let's talk about The Detroit rappers Because you came in the game I Going to the hip hop shop Like Rest in peace to Proof You know what I'm saying yes. Shout out to Maurice My Malone friend. Like Break down I ran the hip hop shop Just so we're clear Oh yeah 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 Break down what the hip hop shop was And what that meant to hit to Detroit hip-hop. Detroit hip-hop. Listen, so I used to run the hip-hop shop with Maurice Malone. I was his publicist mm -hmm. <laughs> at one time, and I used to mm -hmm. open and close the shop. And so um, right. it was the gathering place for rappers and poets and dancers and culture right on Seven Mile. And so everybody was there. Like, M would come through. Um, Proof was good for my Proof hopes to open my DJ Sabotage, DJ Head were the DJs, DJ Rowe. Um, they switched out. So we had a, it was a retail clothing store with a DJ booth and a microphone on the floor. And we spent all day there. And so Maurice Malone was a big, he's a big influence on me. He, um, he, I learned a lot like running a business because I helped him do a lot of his books. So I learned how to do payroll mm -hmm. checks and all kinds of stuff from Maurice. I used to buy um, his clothes. Oh, jeans like Jesus. I still got my jeans like Jesus mm -hmm. t-shirt, them overalls. His clothes mm -hmm. were just, he predated like Tommy Hilfiger. Like, I, yeah, I would yeah. argue. Well, I don't know if he predated on. Tommy, but he predated uh, Cross Colors and FUBU. Well, I think Tommy yeah, stole th from him. Like his, his, oh, his, his that, that might have been true. Yeah, that that might have been oh, true. That, 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 that's most likely sounds true. Sounds about white. That sounds about white. <laughs> <laughs> about white. I was, yeah, because his fashion shows were crazy in Detroit. We would have like mm -hmm. dancing and emceeing all between the all between the fashion shows. And I never saw nothing mm -hmm. like that. I went to New York and I saw a couple of people. I was like, oh, yeah, Maurice was already doing that shit. Um, but I loved mm -hmm. him because he put Islam was like really like Islam and hip hop have a really rich history in Detroit that people don't know about either. So a lot of folks were like Sunni Muslim converting to Islam. So Islam and hip hop had this deep connection. So all of us like Batin and I, I remember being mm -hmm. with Batin from Slime Rest Village, in peace, like, Batin. Rest in peace, Batin. You know, all, the, all these people that I've lost, right? This is my friend. Yeah, man. I remember yeah, being man. in what y'all called Jay Dilla, but we called him John Doe. So I was in John, right. John Doe was my friend. And Jay Dilla was like this fabulous guy that I used to see in New York with like <laughs> her coats on. I used to be like, right. hey Jay, Della, but you right. still John Doe. But he we right. went to East Side in his mother's basement. And I remember saying to Jay, I was like, listen, I want you to put some beats under my poetry. And he was one of the few producers and people who said, that shit would be dope. We should do it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we ever did it or he went because he went away <laughs> and he ended up becoming super <laughs> famous. But um, right. but he became friends with all my friends in New York. So he, beca he mm -hmm. got, you know, became cool with you and, and, uh, mm -hmm. and Erica and you know, like all the people that I connect myself with as a poet. And so same same tribe, you know what I mean? Just different mm -hmm. cities. Yes. And um, and so, yeah, we've lost we've lost some great pioneers. I mean, I would say that proof proof was like when the proof I've saw proof freestyle Buster Rhymes when he was with leaders of the new school at St. Andrews Ooh. Hall. 
improved mm-hmm. tour Buster Rhymes. <laughs> like, I don't Buster may not admit to agree. this moment. <laughs> he may not, he may not agree. No, you know, Buster pays Buster, Buster pays tribute to the greats. And Buster loves okay. proof. I, I, yeah, I know Buster loves proof, but I also they know Buster's a competitive. He's a competitive, competitive MC, and I, I don't yeah. know if he would agree with that. But you know what I'm saying? But yeah, rest moment, in, pe- people don't understand the proof. impact that Proof had on the on the entire scene, not just on yeah. in Detroit, but Proof's impact mm. was national and then it was global. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and he just man, he's such an in, yeah. in, influential, impactful human being. Mm, he's such a special person. He was actually supposed to drive me to Brooklyn. I moved to Brooklyn in 95 in my Ford pickup truck. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to drive and drop me off and take my truck back. And he flaked on me. So my girl. Oh, ended up no. <laughs> so there's that. I'm not mad at him no more. But, you know, he wasn't. <laughs> right. He still no, owes you a ride. Right, rest this seems like a connection to hip hop. Yeah, man. It, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying I've been saying rest in peace so much these days in Detroit that it's like overwhelming to be honest. But um, so good to see people that are alive and healthy, and good to, I'm glad that you're healthy and the Jasmine you're healthy, mm-hmm. and that's you know because I've had a lot of loss with COVID nineteen. But um, mm-hmm. but just back to hip hop and my connection. That, that I mean, I'm a hip hop baby. You know, it's all mm-hmm. in my work, and so I grew up a big fan of KRS One and Run DMC and MC Light was the goddess of all goddesses and. Queen Latifah, mm-hmm. and I loved Rakim and still do. Um, and what's great is I've been able to like know Rakim and he knows my work, which is just crazy to me. That I never thought in a million years that Rakim would know me as a poet, and he does. And it means I mean, that's that's the God right there. That's the God. That's the God MC, you know what I'm saying? I'm mm-hmm. just the goddess poet, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's a nice yes. little balance. But when what's I was your- a little baby girl, I didn't think I would ever meet these people and didn't even know anything about me. So yeah, it's a blessing. Um, what's your relationship with rap like today? Because I know rap gets a lot of criticism about, you know, talking about black women, but it's also a vehicle yeah. to talk about black stories. Are you still connected to rap mm-hmm. today? Like, who are you listening to? <laughs> Not many. Um, I mean, I like Kendrick Lamar. I like J. Cole. Um, oh, I love Rhapsody. I was so just about to ask you about Rhapsody because I'm sure she got I a lot love, of influence from you. I love Rhapsody. I mean, I don't know if she has or not, but I love her. I've done some shows with her um, in Detroit. She was here. We hosted her with my girl, Piper Carter, with the Hip Hop Foundation. No, I love her. Um, I wish there were more. We just need more. I'm not the, the my son is 13, my son King, and he tries to make me listen to stuff that I don't want to listen to. Um, Kendrick <laughs> was like the first rapper that came out in a long time that I was like, oh, that got my attention. Um, but I think that Kim J. Cole... I don't know. Me and Talib be having arguments about like I don't like a lot of it. Um, <laughs> not just because the because they're talking about women and misogyny. No, I'm trying to remember. There was this one. There was there was. <laughs> no, uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say the name. No. I'm not gonna say the name. But there was a rapper that we, we was in the in car Europe, for a long. We, he was on Europe in a long. We was in a long. Uh, we were for going for a long drive, and I was playing yes. a mixtape that had one. No, DJ Spinelec. Shout out to my DJ DJ, DJ Spinelec. DJ He's playing Spinelec. a mixtape that he made. Actually, now that I think about it, it was his mixtape, <laughs> and it had this one rapper that he likes a lot that I also like a lot. <laughs> but every time this rapper's voice came on, Jessica was like, "Who she is crazy? that? He is terrible." <laughs> and and it wasn't me. She just, as soon as his voice, she wasn't familiar with the artist. Mm. It's just every time his yeah. voice came on. And I'm like, what? I like it. She was like, well, listen to what he's talking about. And he really wasn't mm. talking about much. But I was like, yeah. but listen to the flow. And the cadence yeah. that he's rocking on beat. She was like, 
That nigga's wild. I'm like, none of that. There's <laughs> yeah. songs that you can... Funny. There's songs you can listen to the words and be motivated. Yeah. And then there's also songs you just got to listen to the beat and the hook and just, yeah. you know, ride out. That's yeah. just and how just it is these days. She was Royce like, who is this? I like, I like Royce. That, oh, Royce is... Come on, Royce represents Detroit so... I love him. Oh, my goodness. Royce is one of the best MCs I've ever heard in my life. Come on, and 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 people like I was with him. Me, Royce, and yes. Trick Trick <laughs> were at this uh, press conference from Councilwoman Mary. Shout Shepard. out to it's Trick my Trick first too. Time. Shout out to Trick 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 Trick. Love the kids yeah. and, <laughs> and Trick Trick. Love the kids. <laughs> And no fly zone is in back intact. So, so you know, we, we did mention that at the at the right. at the press conference that the no fly zone. I didn't fly in. I I drove in. You good? I'm we not good. talking about you. We talking about, he was talking about suburbanites oh, coming into Detroit to like tear down our city, um, mm. and then go back to their house in the suburbs. So I was like, you know, mm-hmm. when there people were like talking about organizing Detroit, which is of course we need organizing Detroit. We got to shout out Detroit um, police and what's happening here. But the suburbs is the worst of the worst. And like we need to be in Dearborn and Southfield with it because that's where I get pulled over all the time. Oakland County, mm-hmm. you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like cities are mm-hmm. different. You know, Detroit's not a perfect place, but it's definitely different. But Royce, like, listen, I hadn't been next to nobody. And Royce came up to me and was like, oh, I loved your poem. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, thank you. Your voice is right now. You're amazing. And um, he's like, can I get the poem? And I was like, yeah, man, just take the book. And I, he, you know, this man sent me $50 for the book. I love Royce <laughs> by nine. Good dude. Good dude. Good dude. Yes, a good dude and a, and a really talented rapper. And so that, and Big Sean too. I got love Big Sean. Uh, Big Sean is incredible. Oh, yeah, Big Sean. Big Sean is yeah. incredible. Yeah. I got it. I got it. I want to talk about Deaf Poetry Jam because I feel like you and the Thanks. poets that you, you came in a game with really kind of mm-hmm. invented that. Um, yeah. Tell me about. The beginning of Deaf Poetry mm. Jam and how it became the what it became. Wow. So I was one of the poets myself, Black Ice, um, Steve Coleman, and some other folks who were asked to do mm. the U.S. Comedy Festival with, um, by Danny Simmons. So at that time, mm-hmm. we had done a couple showcases where Rakim was actually at one of them. Right. The, um, and you put out Danny Simmons. Museum. You put out Danny's oh, yeah, in the yeah. book. Right, right. Yeah, I published Danny. I dreamed my people were calling, but I couldn't find my way home. It's his first book of poetry and paintings. Mm-hmm. So Danny Simmons was a part of the scene, right, in New York City. So mm-hmm. I was doing events at Danny's house, reading poetry readings on his roof from his fly spot in Brooklyn. He was a gallery owner, uh, ran Rush Philanthropic, always did poetry events at their space in, in Manhattan. And we, we took it out to the U.S. Comedy Festival at Aspen. Dave was there. Dave, it was a, everybody was there. The Wayans family was there. Um, and it was, everyone was talking about poets. We did that showcase and everybody, like I think George Lucas was there. It was bananas. But everybody was talking about the poets because here we are in the, the U.S. Comedy Festival doing this poetry showcase. And um, and we killed. And they got the deal right after that. So I was in the beginning of it all. At that time, I was already you know, famous in my world. I was already a well-known poet, established. I was living in Atlanta. And... And so I came in the beginning, I did the first three seasons, and then I just worked to get other poets on um, mm-hmm. and make sure that every time they didn't say, mo- that most didn't come out and say, from Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> Can we not right. say from Brooklyn, New York, the whole show? And so right. I worked on bringing some of those Atlanta and those Georgia poets, saying those people's names, the Detroit poets, helping to shape the show in a very organic way. I wasn't on staff as a producer, but I definitely was, mm-hmm. um, had their ear. And so it was great. It was, um, and we already were doing it. So yeah, they gave Def- HBO's Def Poetry Jam helped us get some light mm-hmm. on something that was already happening and so right yeah, yeah i mean that's a be- and i just did yeah, a great a be- fundraiser with, with black ice we raised a lot of money um mm-hmm. shout out to black ice more of money course. shout out to black ice yeah we did a, you we and did me ran into black fundraiser yeah you and me ran into black ice in amsterdam we did 
That's yeah. where he we lives travel now. a lot. He's a, he, I think he's, yeah. he's a black Dutchman now. <laughs> he's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I spent uh, Christmas vacation with you in Jamaica. We ran into, uh, well, you ran into Dream Hampton. I did not. I ran into Cypher Sound. I did run into Dream. Max yes. Glazer, you had Allende Baptiste, is that how you say his name? Allende John Baptiste, one of my my little brother, right. my friend for many years. Right. Yeah. That's that's the young man who at the Million Man March did that speech. How old was he when he did it? Twelve? Oh, 14, maybe something 12. Like that? Oh, yeah. With the afro? The most, yes. I had the never afro, met him before. Yes. I met him in Jamaica with Jessica. It was a wonderful thing. Yeah, um, lovely. Now oh, you, I miss you that. spoke I miss about Jamaica. Wanting to, me too, we should go back. Um, you know, we should go back and do a, a, a versus you versus you and me. We do it like Beanie Man and, and Bounty Killer. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I'll destroy um, you. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about um, you talked about putting out other poets. Um, Absolutely. You know, Saul Williams. Saul Williams was a yeah. fantastic poem and an icon back then, but he's even bigger now. Yeah. Um, Ian Thomas was just just getting started in the poetry scene, but now he's like best-selling author. Ross yeah. Barack is the mayor of Newark, New Jersey. I published so my that, question I published to you, <laughs> right? So my question that to girl you is: Love hard, <laughs> yes. Right? Do you feel like you were? He was also on Lauren Hill's album for for reference. He was the teacher between all the skits. But do you feel yeah. like you're ahead of your time because you you publish these people, work work with these people before the world gave them started to give them their flowers? Yeah, of course I do. I mean, I I, 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 I do. No, I was a young missionary. You know, but I, I do. I, yeah. Pat yourself I mean, in the back, queen. Let me, let me give myself my flowers, okay? And, yes. And, uh, and recognize the work that I put in because publishing mm -hmm. is thankless work. And mm -hmm. taking my money from poetry and saying, seeing what Saul was doing in the scene and like he wasn't getting a publishing deal. I was like, I'm a publisher. And Saul walked his manuscript over to me and said, let's make you the Hakeem Adabuti of um, our generation. Yeah, shout, like, out to Hakeem, shout out to Hakeem Adabuti. Where is Third you? World Press, support yes, black yes, books, support yes. black institution builders. Um, yes. And so I became that young, rowdy institution. So I did the seventh octave. Marcia Jones did the beautiful cover. And she became my art director and did a, a lot of my covers after that. Um, mm -hmm. I did. And so it just it just made sense for me to do it because I had the hustle to do it. And I love to put out books. It's just very different. No one ever. So people think that I get grant. Like I don't have grant money. So that back then, we didn't get no grants. So I was doing it all off of my own, out of my own pocket and doing it really for love mm -hmm. because with poetry, I'm only going to sell so many books unless it's me. Like I sell a lot of books and what's deep Talib about having this deal is that I didn't know how many books I was selling I was I've been killing people from my house like really look, look words <laughs> words don't fit in my mouth so 20k back then and that's monster yeah, numbers in, for in indie sense, book. yeah and more in more sense than absolutely yeah I was that's killing crazy. it and I, was like, I didn't know I was killing though because I assume people on a big white press they must be selling like a hundred thousand copies Right. Mm -hmm. If I could sell 20 and I'm just me in my Brooklyn apartment, then they got to be selling. But really, they weren't. And they were it's just that I sell books at like hip hop concerts mm -hmm. and places where they don't have scans. So I didn't care about the barcode as much as like that's all we want. We want our bodies back. It's all about that barcode scan. Right. Because people trying to get mm -hmm. the book from me nonstop every day. Like, Jessica, we want to get that book from you. I was like, I, you got to get it. Yeah, from stores. I'm 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 leaving with I'm leaving with this copy right here. I got I got my copy now um, yes, because I tried yes. I tried to order it from uh from my distributor because I got QualityClub.com and I got Inkyroo. You got from it. There. And it was it was I got it up now, but uh, I I, yeah. I tried to order some more and they were back ordered. Really? Yeah. 
I need to know that information. That yeah. means I know he's coming with my copy too when you get back to LA, right? That's right. That's yes. right. There we yes. go. Yes. <laughs> I got you, Jasmine. Absolutely. And the right. other books are really good too. I try to tell people go like go to jessicacaremore.com and get Sunlight Through Bullet Holes and God is Not an American. Mm-hmm. Those other books mm-hmm. are just as strong and that money goes all to my press. And helping my got press right. helps me put out other poets. And so I got Brad Walron on deck and I want to publish his book. Shout out to Brad. So very, very talented poet. poet. Great, great spoken word poet. artist and great writer. Yes. Absolutely. Um, now, as one of my good, good friends, yeah. <laughs> when I decided that I needed to get up and go to Ferguson in the yes. wake of the uprising, um, mm. the protest around the death of Mike Brown, you were one yeah. of the people I called. It was Rosa Clemente and yourself. Yes. And, um, you know, we all went down there as a unit. There was other people, but y'all, this was, y'all was my main crew. And um, we went down there as a unit and we planned to spend Mm. maybe a day or two down there, but we ended up spending a week and uh, we ended up, we ended up right in the middle of the protest. We ended up getting chased by the police. We ended up getting Mm -hmm. laid down, having guns pointed at us. Um, Yes. Tell me about how that experience shaped you and Mm. then connect it to what's going on now. And what have, what have you learned based on your Mm. experience at Ferguson? Yeah, Ferguson uh, was um, tra- was traumatizing <laughs> for me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I've been an activist my whole life. I think I started my first anti-police brutality protest was for Malice Green here in Detroit when I was probably about 19 or 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And Ferguson, you know, I've been in so many, you know, we've been in rallies. We've been in protests. I've been in, I did, I'm Du Diallo I'm in, in New York City. Like, I've been doing that work. But this one felt different. And so... I remember that night we went out. I remember those AR-15s, those big guns that were at our back and them making us get down on the ground. And I'll never forget, like, trying to find your hand. And I wrote about it in a poem called I Can't Breathe. That's in We Want Our Bodies Back. Um, So, you know, just to say, like, what happened to me there has shaped me forever. Um, I was shook. You know, I was shook as uh, as a black woman, as a mother, as an activist. I really felt like I could have died. And it was the first time I was in just a, a peaceful protest and I was like, these people will kill me. Like, they're going to kill me for just walking mm-hmm. out here. And um, and so it did change me, um, it, it, but it didn't stop me. <laughs> it just informed me. And I was like, this shit is very real. And um, I, it took me, I got home after we'd been out there for a while, and I cried finally. And then I wrote this poem, I Can't Breathe, um, for Mike Brown mm-hmm. and Eric Garner, just about how I felt as a mother and how afraid I was that I might die and who's going to raise my mm-hmm. sons. Wow. And my son Omari called me there and asked me to please come home, which is actually in the poem. Like Omari's like, please, can you just go home? Because he's watching mm-hmm. it on the news. But I'm like, Sonia Sanchez had twins and she didn't go home. And so, you know, women been on the fact like Rosa Clemente has a, has a daughter. She didn't go home. Mm-hmm. And so, and Talib, you got children. But I think when women are, are mothers are on front lines like that, they get questioned in a different kind of way. Like it's, you're being irresponsible. Um, and so I dealt with a lot of emotions, but you know, for, just to fast forward to right now, it's unbelievable how that poem "I Can't Breathe" has become the three words, right? right? Mm-hmm. That this brother George Floyd, Floyd was saying out of his mouth, um, that so many of our our brothers and our sisters are saying "I can't breathe" in so many ways, and it's a metaphor for me to just how it is to be black in this country, you know, like black being a pre-existing condition, black being mm-hmm. something beautiful, mm-hmm. but also this thing you have to carry. Like just me trying to raise my black boy free in this country has been mm-hmm. trem- most tremendous stress. It has been the front line mm-hmm. of my life, just trying to not have white teachers destroy him. 
Um, and mm-hmm. in Detroit, I've had to send him to public private schools. And so that's been the struggle too. So it's all like, it's overwhelming because you think about motherhood you think about, I'm just trying to be free. Like I'm just trying mm-hmm. to be human. And, mm-hmm. um, and so it's, it's been, it's been really difficult. Like this time period right now, watching and watching my son watch it and trying to get him off of it because he's very tuned in and he's looking at the police videos and he's getting mm-hmm. taller and all you do is worry, like when he gets 15, because he's smart. They, they don't like smart black men, yep. you know, that know mm-hmm. their rights. That he's like, mommy, I'm just gonna tell them they can't do that. I said, yeah, you can tell them, mm-hmm. you know, baby. But all of us, you know, mm-hmm. don't matter. They don't care about your your BA, your MFA. When you, none of that matters when you get pulled over. And um, mm-hmm. and so it's like, and just what happened with this brother in Atlanta, just like, you know, I get nauseous about it. And it's, but Breonna mm-hmm. Taylor, like, which, you know, which there is enough outcry with Breonna Taylor. We got that law passed. But, you know, like when black women and black girls die in police custody, and that happens a lot, then you would, mm-hmm. I don't see us like turning up enough. Mm-hmm. Like, I want us to turn up more for black women and black girls. Um, we want our bodies back. That poem is for Sandra Bland. That's um, the title mm-hmm. of my book. It's about her. It's about me. It's about us, Jasmine. It's about our lives. Um, because we are the frontline workers because black mothers are, take care of those black sons. And we are the ones that get us to the next space. And so it's, um, I learned a lot. I learned that the fight is real. I learned that um, activism isn't pretty. Um, it definitely isn't celebrity. I don't like celebrity activism. <laughs> I just can't stand it. Um, and, it mm-hmm. and it's definitely not supposed to be one person. One person will speak for us. Then mm-hmm. I, I like that idea. Like everyone may not agree with what Black Lives Matter is or who they're from. They have people have all these questions. I'm like, the point is that our lives matter. We got Black Lives right. Mattering before the before it was a hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> so you know what I'm saying before what it became a thing, an organization, it was still a reality. It was still something we were fighting against, and we've been on, we've been doing that work as artists, activists, our entire careers. And so I'm still learning a lot, you know. But COVID nineteen has been something like to have to go right. in the middle of a pandemic, watching my people hit the streets, and that's something right. I'm saying that. I'm not right. Like I've got, I'm home with my son. I got to take care of my son and his health is first. And so my mother's health is first. And so that I'm on pause <laughs> on that tip. I, there's a, a, a protest that's going to happen with all girls and women. They've asked me to speak at. I'm probably going to go to that. I can't help myself. I'm probably going to have to go to that. Um, but I have right. to pick and choose. With your mask on. Um, with my Man. mask on. People trying to hug me. I'm like, yo, fall back. You back know, up. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not ready yet. And I think that I don't understand why black people are in a rush to get their hair. Like, my nails ain't done. I ain't had a petty in three months, but I'm beautiful you're still. still. You you're know, still like, killing me. I had you're a still pedicure. Them, still I had a pedicure. Like, listen, I ain't had one yet. Somebody come give me a pedicure, please, with a mask on. Jasmine, are you trying to lift your toes? Is that what's happening over there? Am I trying to what? <laughs> lift your toes to show us? <laughs> No, I was not. Tra- I can't. I cannot. I can't lift my toes. Like, I got a pedicure. Hold on. Hold on. My hold on. Hold on. Like I got a pedicure. I can't shave them. I definitely can't lift my toes. <laughs> but I did get a pedicure with my mom, and I did have a mask nice. on, and so did the lady doing the mask. And she's down at your okay. feet, so it's it's okay. But uh, yeah. COVID has been the main reason. I mean, besides the fact that I'm pregnant, that I haven't been protesting because that's just too many risks but you mentioned yeah. um brianna taylor and i just think that it's disgusting how they have a law passed but yet these police officers are still Haven't running around like you know like we don't want just we want the law but we also want them to get arrested and convicted exactly because that that that's what should happen and i'm um, really surprised by that louisville mayor because i met him i was at the um uh, at this event with my son um with Raz baraka and all these black men this big positive event and called the rumble 
and Center for Black Male Achievement sponsored it. And he was there and he sounded like he was all connected to black community and bowed it. And That's what like, politicians do. He's a Yo, good politician. He is a good politician. Wow. Yeah, I mean, fool. I'm like, what's going on, yeah. Mayor? And, like, and, and I want to make sure not- that people understand that I said he's a good politician. That don't mean he's yeah. a good human being. People get politicians are actors. Say that. <laughs> they're yeah. they're great yeah, actors. Exactly. Tyler mentioned that we spoke to Vic Mensa last week, and um, he talked about the aspect of protests and the rioting and how we've been getting looted out of our. Um, we've been getting looted for white profit for decades and centuries. So how do Come you on. feel about how uh, people are protesting right now? What are your thoughts on it? I think it's all fantastic. And what I, what I told my son, because my son is Mahatma Gandhi, right? My, he is Gandhi. He's like the peacemaker. I'm like Malcolm X, Stokely Carmichael, and my thing is like Gandhi. Yo, your son, your son, me and your son had an argument in Jamaica because he was trying to <laughs> trying to bring all the all the people together. And I was like, yo, you can't be you can't be trying to have conversations with the white supremacist. And he was on some humanistic. He He's so beautiful. He's so, he didn't so know. Beautiful. He didn't. I had to put him you on. You need both types of people, though. You need both types of people. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I love. Need, I love King. All, you need all the people, but King is definitely the peacemaker in the crib, and my yeah. mommy is the is the wild one. And so, what's <laughs> deep is I gave him this analogy. I was because he's talking about the bill. He was like, "Mommy, what about the people burning other buildings?" Because I remember when the precinct in Minneapolis went on fire. I was kind of like, "Yeah, that's a nice visual. me too." <laughs> he was like, "Mommy, wait." I was right. like, "No, babe." I said, "I said, there's no people in there. That's just a building. Mm-hmm. It's some mm-hmm. good symbolism with that, though." And he was like, but, but why? But what is burning the building? I said, what, so this is what I told him. I said, King, if we outside and mommy is on fire and there's a building on fire and the fire department comes, who you want them to put out first? I said, because black people been on fire our entire lives. I said, so the, a building can be replaced, a, but a person's life can't be brought back. And so the yep. most important thing is that we take care of people first, people before buildings. Mm-hmm. And then right. those are things, fuck things. Fuck shoes. Fuck some 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 bracelets. Like that don't mean shit. Especially when you're talking mm-hmm. about these young people who don't have access to your shiny shit that you put mm-hmm. in their right. faces. They don't have access because of the poverty rates here, because of the economic disparity in black and brown um, um, communities. They don't. So mm-hmm. they wish they could have those things. And now they're like, mm-hmm. fuck it. Now I'm going to have them things. I, mm-hmm. I'm not hating on none of that. You know why? They have insurance. I was like, King, anybody that got a business that's that's got baller money, they got baller insurance and they're going to be fine. I mm-hmm. said, but George right. Floyd's um, daughter, Gianna, can't have her daddy back. Um, mm-hmm. That man in Atlanta had three daughters. Three. Talk to the police about his daughters. But one just had a birthday. How are you having this conversation and shoot a man twice in the back after that? So that's, you know, so that's that's how I feel. Like, you know, this is this is where we're at because we're finally exhausted from white supremacy. Yes, you know, there is definitely institutionalized racism. I've been trying to teach that to my son, like teaching him like this. It's not about... And, you know, because he's like, can black people be racist? I was like, no, they can be prejudiced or biased. But racists mm-hmm. are attached to a system. They have power in the system to actually enact their feelings become power. I can have a feeling about a white person, but I can't do nothing to the white person because I'm going to go to jail quick. Right. But black yeah. white people can have a feeling about what they think is a black person and not hire them for the job, not give them the promotion, you know, not. Whatever the thing is, treat their child different in the classroom. So, which I want to pull us. I just, we, we have to re, we have to take back our policing and we have to take back these schools. Like, we have to talk about defunding mm-hmm. education. <laughs> like, the education system is completely set up for rich kids. It's not yes. about poor children making 
a difference. And my poor children can't just go to college. They're mm-hmm. not, it's not set up for us. So college should be free. Black and brown people shouldn't have to pay to go to university or college anyway. That, that's reparations to me. If we're going to talk about reparations, like education is the front. Like that's what it is. It's not give me a check. It's no give me the opportunity to go to school. Like all, all brown and black babies should have the opportunity. When we, at one point, there was illegal for us to read, to read and mm-hmm. write, mm-hmm. right? And so, I don't know if I'm answering the question, but that's how. I'm that's writing how in Jessica <laughs> for president. I know that much. Oh, no. <laughs> I've made yeah. my decision. I got, the, I got the campaign. I got the campaign slogan. Fuck your bracelets. Yes. Fuck <laughs> your bracelets. What? Fuck your bracelets. Anyway, I'm on um, fire. Like, yeah, let's go. So, yeah, so Jessica... um has this album, oh, The yeah. Black Tea, The Legend of Jesse James. Now, mm-hmm. Jesse, when you told me that you had an album, mm-hmm. I was nervous. And the <laughs> no. reason why I was nervous is because it's very rare to hear a good spoken word poetry album, just in my subjective opinion, right? I agree. Yes. Right. And so there's there's exceptions to the rule. I remember when Eargasms, mm-hmm. Eargasms came out, which you were on it's a good album. back in the day, that album was very, very stellar. Every song on the album had something to offer, was substantial, yep. was very good musically. Um, nothing yes. was sacrificed for the message in the spoken word. Absolutely. Um, Sekou Sundiata, mm, you know? Master. Yes, wow. his albums, he was able to craft albums that felt like musical albums, but he was a spoken word artist at his core. Right. And uh, of course, Gil Scott Heron is probably the Gil master of it. The master of it, right? Of the yes. genre. Um, yes. Your album, when you played it for me, mm. it blew me away. Thank you. And I was just, I was, I was stunned and I wanted to be in business with you. Um, and so we put the album yeah. out uh, through Javoni Beautiful. Media. Shout out, to, shout out to John Dixon, who wrote most of the album, piano player from Detroit. Yes. He did a fantastic job. Um, I'm yes. on the album. Uh, Jose yes. James, Wordsworth. Yep. Idea. Yeah. Roy Ayers. Roy Ayers is Roy on Roy Ayers. Here. Ideas on it. Yeah. My sister Blue, uh, Blue was singing on I- it. Imani Azuri, I think, is on it. Is Imani on uh, it? Ursula Rucker is on it. Okay. Yes, One Below is on okay. it. It's a killer yeah. album. That album is real, and I'm not saying it because it's my album, but I was trying to make the album that Gil Scott Heron, who was one of my teachers and friends, would be proud of. And I know Gil would have loved because I mean, I don't like poetry over beats, to be honest. When people send me mm. beats, and the one song that I love on the album that you told me to write to actually became one of my favorite songs, Catch Me If You Can, right? Produced by Brady like, Watt, who has made himself very famous with his Bass and Brady. Bar series on yes, Instagram. Bass and Bar, shout yeah. out. Yes, I love Brady. And he's hot on bass, hot white boy on bass, Brady Watt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> right. but he produced the track and I love the trumpet. So I wrote to the sound of the horns because the horn and the voice are very similar to me. And I think the reason why for me, I think the music work, Brian Jackson and Gil Scott Heron just had a thing. Brian Jackson was a was a killer producer, right? And they found that and me and John Dixon went into Submerge over there on, on East Grand Boulevard, um, which is the home of the Techno Museum on the third floor, and wrote that album in a little small little space where he would listen to my poem and he wrote the chords around the language, and that's why it worked. Instead of me just dropping my poem over the beat the way like a rapper would take get a beat and you write to the beat, the that album was written to my voice because the musicality of my voice um, already has a sound. And like, so walking on 158th Street, like, little brown lady with brown eyes. I had been doing that for years. That was, I wrote that line. Right. Little brown lady with brown eyes. Oh, Chris right. Johnson just came. And 
Yeah, the album's beautiful. It sounds so good on vinyl. I play it often, to be honest, on my old record. But it's a good album. And um, mm -hmm. I'm really so grateful because out of all the rappers and people that I have worked with, um, you actually put my voice out there in a big way. And so there's, I always give you lots of credit, whether you're, you're never here to hear it, but I talk about you often, <laughs> how much I appreciate that because no, it's like, you know, because men, um, rappers get like, you know, hip hop artists get like a really bad rap when it comes to like women's voices. And it's one thing to ask me to open your album or close it. It's another thing to give me some bars. And I've been saying that for years, like, give me some bars. I want to, I want my publishing money. You know, I know how this business works. Like, I, right. I interlude may not get the same publishing. You know, I want to be inside the song. But you did more than that. You were like, well, here, I'm going to put the whole... I remember you calling me like, you want a record deal? And I was like, yeah, yeah I want a record deal. Like, and because he was like, what are you going to do with this album? And I was like, well, Talib, you're Talib Kweli. What you going to do with the album? Um, I knew it was good. And uh, I'm really proud of the album. I hope to be able to, to do more. And um, But lots of the reviews I got, like this Canadian reviewer was like, we don't know what took Jessica Caramore so long. But I really was working, as you know. Like I've worked with, you know, I've been producing Black Women Rock for 16 years. So I've been mm -hmm. doing like rock and roll with poetry and doing, um, I've got a record coming out with Jeff Mills and Eddie Folks actually. I got mm -hmm. a techno record mm -hmm. coming out in July called The Crystal City is Alive and Jeff Mills is one of the producers that I wanted to work with my whole life. So it's like a dream come mm -hmm. true that I'm working with Jeff Mills. And so I, I didn't have any limits musically as to what I could do. But um, mm -hmm. but nobody said, you know, I'm going to put your album out. You, I mean, I never would have had a meeting with Pandora to talk about a Jessica Kim Moore station. Like, you helped open that door for me. So I love you, Talib, like doing that. I love thing. you too. And yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm hoping, I'm glad that you think the album actually was worthy of that because um, I I'm looking forward to the next one. That's, we're going to do yeah. another one. It, it's coming. Yeah, we went on tour, you said? We went on tour. And I remember, like, it was really a, a good learning experience. Like, you know, because I remember you and I were like, I, I perform more at universities and places of higher learning. And <laughs> Not in these dirty-ass nightclubs I was performing. <laughs> Not these dirty-ass clubs <laughs> and shit, you know what I'm saying? But I was like, spilt, it was deep spilt, spilt, doing cognac that. Not the bar. <laughs> Not that fighting with, like, fighting with the promoters. <laughs> Yo, your fights with the promoters are crazy. I'd be like, so I'd be like, just I like, have to just, just get deep down inside with my own and my meditation. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. But we did Brooklyn Bowl together mm -hmm. and with the band, and um and and that's what I you know that was amazing for me because I saw these all these young white kids in the audience looking at me like I was a foreign object. And I blew, I knew I was blowing their minds back. I had Stephanie singing, I think, and them horns came out. And I just remember them coming up after me like, who are you? And that's what's deep about the industry. Like I've been in this, I've been working all over the world for 25 years, full time as an artist, mm -hmm. and people are still discovering me. Which right, is, right. So, um, and that's the thing. And that's why, you know, interesting enough, the reason why I align myself with Black women rock and roll artists is because I have a very similar lifestyle as as Liza Colby, as Dion Ferris, as Divinity Rocks, as Nick West, as Stephanie Christian, as, you know, Julie Dexter, where these people are like Celise Henderson. I mean, I rock with all the black women who play rock and roll, you know, Kat Dyson and Nona Hendricks, um, who's a legend in it. Give us context on that because you don't just rock with them. It's not like you're just a fan. You actually <laughs> organize for years, for like a decade straight, uh, black women's years. rock. 16 years 16, concert yeah. with all with many of these people that you just named come to Detroit yeah. and you've done it other places other, other than Detroit but it's a fantastic yeah. show tell us about this you show you saw it in San Francisco you saw it at the, in the yes. Bay it, yes. it turned it all the way out in the year when I sent it for the arts um, Black Rock is a 16 year old black 
women rock and roll institution. That's a empowerment rock and roll concert weekend that brings together black women rock and roll artists from all over the country, even outside the country, to play with about a 12 to 15 piece black women rock orchestra, uh, musical mm -hmm. directed by Kat Dyson. And I've been doing this work for 16 years in tribute to a woman named Betty Davis, who was married to Miles Davis, who actually I got put on to Betty Davis through Amir from The Roots. Right. So and you just showed me some you just showed me some autographed pictures, portraits that Betty Davis sent you personally that are she hanging did. up in this beautiful crib. She that you did. Have. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah. She blessed me with these beautiful black and white photos and, and a beautiful poster. And she signed them. I love black and my rock and um, to Jessica. And she actually signed a poster to Nona Hendricks. We took it to Pittsburgh. She lives in Pittsburgh. So we took it to the August. We headlined the, the August Wilson at the August Wilson Center at the Jazz Festival, Pittsburgh Jazz Festival. And that was a dream come true because I've been wanting to bring it to home to Pittsburgh. Um, but annually in Detroit, but we've done it in New York City. We headlined the Apollo Theater, Women of the World Festival. And when you saw it in San Francisco, we got asked to come back again and do it that same year in San Francisco again. And so it's one of the best rock concerts you've never seen. Um, it's high right. powered. It's all black women. The st our staff is all 90% black women. Um, and the stories behind it are so interesting because these women have literally like Divinity Rocks, you know, has played all over the world with Beyonce. Um, but she's really a front person. So Celise Henderson, like, you know, who did my show, was just on Saturday Night Live with the, I forgot the new girl's name, the new pop star girl. But anyway. Lizzo? Um, the new pop star no. girl, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, Lizzo. No, I like her. I like her. I Lizzo, that's what you so, were talking about? Yeah, I was at you know, I, was, I was at that show, Jesse. I, I was I I must must have seen your girl. I was I was backstage in the rafters watching that show. Yeah, Salisa's bad, man. Salisa Henderson. But mm -hmm. I mean, people are like, oh, the girl from SNL. I was like, no, the girl from Black Women Rock. She was just in Detroit. And so, Kimberly Nicole, like her voice is extraordinary. Yazara, her voice is extraordinary. Like Yazara, Jesse yeah. Wagner, like these women I've been rocking with for years because they actually need space. They actually. People need to hold space for them. Mm -hmm. And they are healers. And they, Imani Azuri can hit many Ripperton notes. But I bring women that are skinny, are thick, are dark, are light, are in between, look all kinds. Nobody, everybody don't look like me. I've got too many light-skinned women on the bill. Somebody got to go. So I curate, curate it <laughs> so that people can see that black women look like all the things. That we all right. don't have the same goddamn weave. Like some of us got natural hair. Some of us got a weave. Somebody got cornrows. Um, but like, you know, I would put this concert against any concert. And I've gone to some other big, you know, concerts with lots of budget I, I, just to see. I agree. Nah. I agree. Yeah, it's, I watched it's this a killer. It's, the Black Women's Rock concert is so ill. I watched it on Zoom this year. You know what did, you? Had, oh, did you? <laughs> I had to see it. You know what I'm saying? It was the Zoom call was a little hectic at first, but y'all got Zoom it together after a while. <laughs> well, I have a, I, I'm trying I have to figure a out a way to to do it right online. It's hard because we right. are we are audience driven kind of. We are yeah. You got to feel right. us because right. we sweating and you know right. all in your face with it. And so, but people don't know that Black women created rock and roll. And so, and that's what's killing me. It's like, like Big Mama Thornton. It's not like we're yeah. We're not taking over genre. We're taking genre back. <laughs> it's mm, our genre. Right. I was just going to say that I have a guitar, so I need to start practicing so I can go, uh, Jasmine. get on there. I can do one chord right now. Just give me some time. <laughs> so you get to like three or four, you know what I'm saying? And like right now is a good time, Jasmine, to be honest. Like Kat Dyson is working with King. My son is learning guitar and she does classes online. So if you really want to get down... You should yes. do it while you while you while you while you got a bun in the oven. <laughs> yes, I've had it since September, so I'm ready to learn. Hey. Now, Jessica, you you brought up um, hip hop's connection with Islam and um, how that yeah. was impressive to you. How Maurice Malone did that. Um, you are yeah. a Muslim, and so um, yeah. 
you know, Yasin is my partner, and mm. I've watched him. One of the one he of the more Muslim most than be- me. Yeah, probably. <laughs> one of the more Muslim to me. I'm Muslim one of the to more, a degree. One of the more inspirational things is watching him. Like, he, Islam informs every part of his lyrics in a yeah. way that he is connected to his faith in a way that most artists are not, in my opinion. Yeah. And because yeah. he is connected to his faith, he's a, he's a man, he's a, he's a human being. He's not a perfect individual, right? No. no. But... <laughs> I'm not a but, perfect man. I think he's saying that's he, he even made a song about it. He, 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 you know what's funny? I'm I'm sitting here trying to explain. I'm sitting here trying to explain Yasin and this nigga fucked around and made a song about it 20 years ago. Explaining it way better than I could do it right here on this on this Zoom call. Um, None of us are but, perfect. And because right, one to of that my li- favorite people and I love him dearly. So yes, to that. to that to that to that lyric, do you sometimes because he has had a public struggle between trying to adhere to his faith and also be yeah. this charismatic, charming artist that gets all this adulation. That's part of why he changed yeah. the name from Most Deaf to Yasin Bey, so he could be closer yeah. to him, to himself and closer to God. Um, do yeah. you ever have have that same struggle with your art? I don't. You know, the thing is, I don't, and I don't do that to other people. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, there, it's deep because I. There's this thing, people have this assumption because I'm a poet that, you know, there's a lot of stereotype with poetry, like you wear a rap skirt or you're, you know, you're, you know, burning, all that silly stuff. And I, when I started deciding to like, I'm going to wear like tight clothes, and I'm going to wear high heels and I'm going to mm-hmm. show up the, looking like a woman and y'all going to have to just focus <laughs> on Jesus or Allah or whatever to get you through this poetry reading. Because I want to be my full woman self and be yes. beautiful and feel pretty. Uh, and still be a revolutionary. I remember being at a at a uh, Black on Rock, actually, I was hosting, and I said, you know, I may not have my head wrap on, but I work in the prisons. What do you do? You know? And so, like, mm. fighting against that idea of what what it's supposed to look like for everybody, to make what makes people feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't make people... And, and then, I, and I, because I know, I know Yasin Bey, I know Most Def, and I knew Don, and I know Dante, and, and I know that... Um, you know, being in the public eye is not easy for him. It's not easy to get scrutiny. I remember a sister was mad because of Big Booty. What's the song? Big Booty. Miss Miss Fat Booty. Miss Big Booty. Miss Fat Booty. This girl was all mad. Yeah. Great record. And I was like, I said, but I know him. He liked fat booties. So why should we? Not? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what's you know, I don't get that. Like, what do you mean? Like, and she was mad because she, but she was she was holding him to his faith, though, right? She I was a Muslim mm-hmm. man, he shouldn't be talking mm-hmm. that way. And I was like, you know, it's just really unfair. Um, when people are trying to be close to God in their way, it's such a private praying five times yes. a day, yes. being close to God has nothing to do with anybody else. It's mm-hmm. not for your it's not for your entertainment. It has nothing to do mm-hmm. with someone's life as an artist. That's what you do when you're quiet. That's when you do mm-hmm. when you when you tune in it all out. And so anyone trying mm-hmm. to reach that space um, should be just respected in that way. Uh, and But I know perfection is ridiculous. Um, I'm certainly not one for perfection and I have imp- imperfect male and female friends. And so, right. um, but he's one of my favorite people. And so I wrote for him Mine at too. times. Yeah, and I've had, I've defended him um, many times. People will make comments even about his personal life where I thought it was completely out of line. You know, and I'm like, unless you know people and know their business and know what they're doing for their children, unless you really know that, 
then you should shut the fuck up. Shut the because fuck man, up. You, I, yeah, wow. man, because it's it's not it's really unfair. It's very everyone. I got my own situation with my with my you know I have two ex husbands, right? Um, mm-hmm. And but my relationship with them and my and my children that were a result of those marriages has nothing to do with any of my art or any of my like. Y'all are not a part of it. And judging people mm-hmm. based on like what perception, like people have kids. I don't, I don't know any of his children to be hungry. Like I don't know any of his personal business, but I know nobody's homeless in the street. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's people that I know that like got kids that got money that their kids are hungry or, you know what I mean? They're, they're, the baby mama is really struggling. So I don't mm-hmm. know that. But when people go out of their way to just, yeah, to judge people with not really even knowing they shit all the way, it, it bothers me, you know, because it's, it's mm-hmm. hard. It's hard to build relationships and have marriages and have children and then be in the public eye. And people, I mean, the, I mean, I got accused of having sex with almost every man I stand next to in a picture at one mm-hmm. point. Um, and so, and it was deep. It's like, you know, that's just, I'm friends with so many men. Like that's, I have more male friends than I have female friends. Cause I'm just Same. that cool motherfucker. Like, I don't know. I just, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And I stay friends with people by like actually not having sex with my friends. It's like, has helped me maintain very strong relationships with my black male friends. Yes. And, um, and I appreciate and love them and they're not perfect. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so there's that. Can you uh, tell us about your foundation and your work with the Jessica Care Moore Foundation? Yeah, I mean, that's a literacy driven foundation that I founded because of the things I was saying about schools. I would go inside schools and I would see that girls didn't know who Alice Walker were. They never heard of Maya Angelou. They didn't know poetry looked like them. And so um, I actually do that foundation through my son. King. So King has a thing called the 12 and Under Super Cool Poetry Open Mic, where he gets um, together kids 12 and under. He's 13 now, so he's outgrown his own program. And uh, we won a grant. And I'm Jessica Kimmore Foundation is the, you know, I facilitate the grant for him. But basically we get, we do huge open mic and we go to like the Motown Museum or to the Science Center and we get kids 12 and under. I do all these workshops with young people and then my son hosts the open mic. And so... What I like to see with that foundation more of is really helping to build curriculum inside Detroit, New York, Seattle, Chicago, national public school systems. We need some L.A. help. We need some L.A. help. You know what I mean? Yeah, because we shouldn't have to keep on redoing it. And I can't be Mm -hmm. everywhere. So I need to we need to build curriculum. And so I think that's the future of the foundation is that and, um, and building more voices for youth. Yes. Um, In 2019, um, you staged an Afrofuturistic core poem. That oh, was set. Yes, you did. To Detroit techno music. You told me a lot about this. I didn't get to see it. It was at the Charles it's M. Wright Museum? Charles H. Wright. Yep. H. Wright. Now, um, tell me about why you chose to do mm. that and connect that to mm. the importance of Detroit techno. It's Yeah, but it's it's all about the right now. It's so deep because the mantra for Salt City, the techno choreo poem, is we the ones they couldn't kill. And so it's an Afrofuturistic techno choreo poem. Choreo poem, if people don't know, is poetry and dance. And Itazaki Shange and um, that generation coined that phrase choreo poem, and which was for color girls. And Itazaki, of course, one of my personal heroes. And so um, I wanted to yes. write a choreo poem. And I wanted to write it in the future, though. I wanted to, like, for, for Color Girls was in that moment, I wanted to write about Black people in 3071. I wanted to be able to imagine us in the future. And so um, Salt City is based on a salt mine, uh, a city beneath the city, which is Detroit to me. Because to me, Detroit is like the heartbeat of all movements, but we're just the undercurrent um, that pushes mm-hmm. other movements along. And techno is Black, right? Woo! 
y'all, guess what? Techno is black. And so <laughs> people don't know that techno is black. And techno was yep. created by my friends, right? That right up the street, Mike Banks. And um, Juan Atkins and Derek Saunderson and all these incredible, um, Kevin Saunderson, I'm sorry, Derek May and um, Jeff Mills and uh, Eddie Folks. And this, I mean, there's countless pioneers in this work, um, but they brothers. They're like, they're like boots on the ground type brothers, too. They're not like, they're like black men, straw black men who created this music. And I, I grew up listening to it and I wanted to tell the story of a, a black girl named Salt who's born into the salt mine, who goes to 3071, travels to this electric forest and um, can't find her people in the future. So she has to figure out how to go back home to fix things so that mm. we don't die off. And so it's a very heavy piece about colonization and about what's happening to our people, about our people being killed, about um, indigenous culture being written off. And uh, it's about indigenous genocide. Um, but it's just set in 3071 in the future. And it's beautiful. But it's, it's techno the whole way through. So it's a 90-minute piece with a very short, short break. We don't have an intermission. We have a dance break. We make the audience dance uh, to, to house and techno. And so it's it's a killer show. And it's aesthetically gorgeous. Aku Kadogo directed and choreographed it. She's the woman in yellow from Pacala Girls. So there's history connected. Mm -hmm. I've been working her, with her on the piece for a long time. And Marlise Yerby came in from Rent and co-directed and choreographed with her for the Detroit premiere. And... It's an excellent piece that I, I God willing, will see it um, in New York and in Berlin and other places soon. So mm -hmm. techno is a black culture, right? And like people wow. don't know that. People think of Europe when they think of techno music, but it mm -hmm. truly is a black thing that was created in my city. And so yeah. one of the, the white version is called EDM. EDM. I can't stand EDM. I can't do <laughs> really? It. I can't do EDM. I can't do EDM. Yeah. I think of Miami well, well, when I techno hear techno. Has, techno has the soul. You listen to Jeff Mills' music. You listen to Mike Banks. Right. You can hear. You can hear the church. You can hear gospel. You can hear the horn. Mm -hmm. You can hear the. You can hear the, It's something in it that makes you go. It's different. <laughs> That's. I can't just do the bang, 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 bang for no reason. I can't do that. And so, um, so I want to, yeah, rest in peace to, to John Witherspoon. Rest in peace. Yes. I his wife probably, I know his wife. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, so yeah, that's so I'm busy doing that kind of work. Um, just in my imagination here in Detroit, <laughs> like riding around a salt mine in 3071. Speaking of the future. Yes. Shout out to my man, King Moore. Okay. That is such a special, oh, special, he, special guy right there. And, I love uh, him. He's, he's, he he's gone into son. Detroit School of the Arts on a piano audition. I'm so proud of him. He's my son. So he played piano too? That's how he got into the school he's going to. Play. Yeah, he's going to play okay. for you when we're done. What yeah. what oh, do wow. he not do? Like the last time I seen him, he was doing he's, magic tricks. Magic. Oh, wow. We were going, <laughs> we were walking around Jamaica and he was he was going up to people's tables in the restaurant like, hey, want to see a magic trick? And would do a magic trick it. that would blow their mind. Like not blow just blow like a mind. you know, not just like a, a amateur trick, like a real no. so good. He's really oh my good goodness. at everything. You know, I'm Is your son a Libra? Like, hockey. No, he's he's a he's a he's a cocky, he's a Virgo. Oh, I didn't say cocky. Okay. I said I said hockey. He plays hockey. Oh, hockey. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's a, oh, yeah, he's cocky. He's a, oh, he's yeah, a he black guy from Detroit. He play, <laughs> he's he a plays black hockey player. And actually, he's featured yeah. in the National Hockey League on the Red Wings. Wow. Featured him in this beautiful documentary. I'm talking about black young youth hockey and black players. So he's one of like the spokespersons for youth hockey um, in black rinks in Detroit, which is something really dope. He's been on the ice since he was six. And it's his favorite sport. He plays other sports, baseball and soccer. But 
I, I play ball. I was like, y'all don't want to play no ball? I'm trying to get her to put that basketball <laughs> right. in my hand. But he's like... He, 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 he also makes beats. He also makes beats. He and makes his beats, beats are very good. Yes. Yeah, the thing that impresses me most is, is that he published his own book. Wow. And so I feel like he's like, that's the 2.0 part of you. So tell me about yeah. King's book and your relationship with King. Uh, a piece of a poem, you know, his beautiful book. He, he was started, I started reading his journal entries when he was seven. And that's what made me pay attention to him. So it wasn't just, I was like, oh, you're my son. You have to be a poet. I started reading mm. this stuff and I was like, King, this is really good. And I just kind of encouraged him. And then he was eight and he was writing even more. And then he would come out to my readings, like how your kids might come to your shows. And I was like, King, mm. come out and, um, you know, you want to read a poem for the audience? So he would be opening up for me like at, like at eight years old and nine years old. He was like, this is cool, mommy, you know, doing the poetry for your friends and in front of audiences. Adults really... He, he was writing about heavy stuff. He's writing about death. He's writing about um, what's happening with, uh, he wrote about Mike Brown. He was writing about very deep subject matters um, about, he's, he's really different from me too. So he's not as rowdy as I am. Again, I told you he's Gandhi. He's very peace, peace and love with <laughs> But he's attacking very, very serious subjects at a very young age. And, um, and I was like, well, King, what do you feel about putting together a book? And he said, absolutely. And he was like, but I don't want to read poems in front of grownups. And I was like, well, what do you want to do? And he's like, well, I want to create something that puts me in front of kids. And so what's deep is his poems are kind of heavy for kids. And as you, I mean, I know you know this, but he's open for Dave Chappelle twice. Like He did one show with Dave and he was so good. I remember Stan Latham was there watching him like, this kid just walks up like, you want to hear a poem in front of like 3,000 people? Like, I don't think he even realized <laughs> what he right. was doing uh, at that time. And then he was so young. I just, you know, Dave, I was like, where the headphones? Because he couldn't listen to Dave's show. But um, he was so good that they was like, you know, have him do it. You, he's like, he's like, do you want Better to do it? Better not bring your like, kids. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, he's a little older now, so I've let him kind of watch right. some of the stand-ups uh, and get his own opinion. And he has his own opinion about everything. So, yeah, just a natural poet and writer. I think it's going to turn into songwriting. He's as, not as mm -hmm. interested in poetry as he is in music. So his graduation gift from eighth grade is he's going to get a MacBook Pro. He's going to get... Uh, well, we're debating Ableton, Logic, something he wants Fruity Loose. We're going to figure out Ableton. to get a music software. Ableton. You got to tell him that. Okay, you tell him Ableton. Mm -hmm. And so get him some music software and then we'll see what happens because he was killing GarageBand. He was making great beats. He's rocked some parties. <laughs> Actually, he's done DJ sets at the Electronic Music, um, Electronic Backpack Festival, whatever. He did a whole half hour set. So, wow. you know, uh, yeah, but piano is the instrument that he's interested in the most. And so, yeah, motherhood is like a really fantastic thing. It's been like a journey. And I, my son, Omari Jazz, I want to just shout Omari out because he's an amazing yes. activist, amazing music producer. He's doing his great work. Actually doing great work. He took all the money from his um, proceeds of his album, Dream Child, and gave it to Black um, women or Black trans organizations who are fighting for Black Lives Matter. And so... I mean, he doesn't have, he's 25. He needs all that money. Now I got, now I got to send him more money. So y'all go get Dream Child. It's on Bandcamp. Right. What is it? Bandcamp or whatever Bandcamp. Mm -hmm. I'm so horrible. Amari Jazz, yeah, Dream on, Child on Bandcamp. Please. He's doing great, great work. I'm proud of him. And so, um, and so that's, you know, King is very similar, um, but, um, but very, he's, he's an interesting cast. I'm, I'm interested in what's going to happen because he'd be a great lawyer <laughs> with all the music. He's a really good debater and he does a lot yes, of research. He he's a Virgo and he's very smart. But yeah, he'll play piano for you a little later. But um, oh, I'm proud okay. of him. Yeah. Motherhood has not been, you know, it wasn't what I planned. I was married. You know, I didn't plan on raising him on my own. Um, interesting. Hold on, Jessica. I know you. Hold on. I know you. Yes. You was talking about I want a baby from the day I met you. 
Oh, I wanted the baby, but I, you know the husband part is. I wish I wanted okay, more okay, babies. Okay, okay. To be honest, yeah, so yeah. I ended up dating dads. I like dating dads because I like men who have children. You know, <laughs> when I date men that don't have dads, it's just weird. You know that I can't. So dads are sexy, and I mean dads who take care of their kids are sexy. Let's just say that. Yes. So like dads who are like good fathers. I roll with y'all. You know what I'm saying? That's like you're my type, mm-hmm. and I've had stepchildren. And children I helped raise and influence uh, that I didn't make, and I didn't expect to do it by myself. And I'm I'm a full time working artist, and so that's why I live in this beautiful city of Detroit because my mother is here. So shout out to my mother, and to my family here because I came home because I my uh, marriage was failing, my second marriage, and I had to figure out a way to make a living and travel the way I have to to make money and still take care of my son. And so it's been a beautiful journey, but the the struggle with him's personality, I call him light-skinned Tupac. And my son is like a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, like he said, spirit, right? He's not a troublemaker, but he's also not a slave. Like he mm-hmm. is absolutely free. And I raised him to be free. And these schools don't like free black boys. And he said to me once, he said, is this a prison or a school? He's like, why do I have to raise my hand? If I have to go to the bathroom, he said, going to the bathroom is a natural thing that everyone must do. If I have to go to the bathroom, I should be able to say, I'm going to the bathroom. Why do I have to ask permission <laughs> to go pee? You know, and so like this is a 12, he was 12 years old, like, asking me these very, very sensible questions. And then you realize that some white teachers don't like the one when black boys start looking like black men. They don't like them anymore, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. they feel threatened by them. And so my son has felt this and I've had to fight with him. And I, I, it's this, this thing called the 1%, I, like the 1%. So in, in private school, you got to get an 83 to get a B. So my son will have an 82 and like all his work is turned in. So I'll, in, I'll inbox the teacher like, what's he got to do for the 1%? I said, because he got an 82, he ain't got no missing assignments. I was like, because the white boys get the 1%. Because mm-hmm. they could just say, on effort, I can give him the 1%. You know what I'm saying? But I got to, as a black mom, take time out of my schedule, and I got to pay that much attention. And I pay that much attention Amen. to the 1%. I'm going to need you to give my son the 1% so he can get his B. Because we rock yes. over honor roll. And I have to fight like that at nonstop. And I'm exhausted from it. But I do that because... They would just, that's what they do to our, our boys. That's what they do to our girls. And that's the extra work you have to do as black mother, being a black mother. That's the difference between being a white parent in this country and being a black parent. That I got to fight for that little 1% to get my son the gray he absolutely deserves anyway. So, but King is a joy. And I, he's, I, whatever he ends up doing, he'll be fine. And um, I just pray the world gets better um, so he doesn't have to come and fix it. <laughs> I think that's what it. <laughs> Word up. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, I want you to give it up for Jessica Caremore. It's so beautiful. I love doing this love with you. you. Thank you this so much. This was an amazing interview. Thank you so much. Thank yes, you. Thank you. I hope so. We're going to snap for you like we in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Moon Cafe. That's act like we in Detroit. Oh, you want the clap. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like that. I don't do that Word shit. Up. That's good. I'm not that hippie. I'm like hippie with a gun. <laughs> so balance. Word up, Jessica. Thank uh, you. Thank you.